All right, let me plunge right into it. I'm going to go to the mailbag this morning, if you don't mind. I tell you what, after preaching last Sabbath's sermon, and a bunch of you weren't here, but I have gotten a lot of mail. I've gotten emails, I've gotten snail mails, and I've gotten drop it by the office mails. I guess the moral of the story is when you preach an entire sermon from a rocking chair, you're bound to hear from somebody. And that's what I did uh, this week. Thank you for all your mail. Many of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to uh, share a couple letters with you. Just a couple letters. I, I have contacted the writers of these letters, by the way, and I've asked permission to share the letters. Now, one name I'm going to share with you for obvious reasons. I'm going to keep one writer anonymous. All right? Let me read these letters to you. Hi, Pastor Dwight. Oh, this is a letter from uh, this is a letter from the manager. Listen to this: the manager of the Talent Management and Organizational Performance Department, Whirlpool, North America. All right. Her name is Danae Atkins. She happens to be a member here at Pioneer Memorial Church. And Danae wrote me a note this last week, sent me an email. Hi, Pastor Dwight. I'm excited about the sermon series you started last Sabbath. Hallelujah. The good news. Danae is, it started last Sabbath and it ends today. This is it, it's just these two. It's, it's not a long series, but something very important I'm about to share with you. So I'm, I'm glad you're excited. Uh, Danae goes on, I think it's vitally important. My husband Andy and I joined a small group for about a year when we were first married, and it was so valuable to us. At first we weren't sure about the time commitment, but it turned out that the fellowship, and she lists all these people that were in the group, was exactly what we needed at that point in our lives. Plus, like you mentioned in your sermon, meeting more people and recognizing more smiling faces on Sabbath morning helps you feel more connected to an otherwise overwhelmingly large congregation. And is that true? Yep, that's the reality. We know that for a large congregation like this. She said, look, I found your mention of Starbucks. So she's kind of referencing, uh, talking about Starbucks last week. By the way, I got from five of you. This, this was rather uh, coincidental, but the Sunday paper the very next day had a huge nationally syndicated column written by Terry Mattingly that, dis- that compares Starbucks to the Christian church. And so five of you ripped it out and sent it to me. Thank you very much. Now... Interesting story in, in that column, interesting story. Uh, a pastor up in the Puget Sound in Washington State, he's formed a church. He calls it St. Arbucks. You take the ST off of Starbucks, St. Arbucks. And he's focusing on creating this median space. Remember, this little two-parter is called the front porch. Median space, the space between my private world at home and my public world at work, at school, wherever. There needs to be median space. And that's why, for this generation, Starbucks is so successful. So, Danae, she says, I found your mention of Starbucks as the new front porch extremely interesting. As part of the classes I teach at Whirlpool, listen to this, we talk about consumer insights and why they are so important. Starbucks is an example that we point to of a company that did an extremely good job of uncovering core insights about its consumers and then crafting its business around these insights. Now she quotes from the Starbucks manual. In fact, Starbucks' main insight was, and here she quotes, Starbucks is not a product sold in a coffee shop. Rather, an experience marketed in a third space between home and work where people can gather and relax. So, she writes, your mention of Starbucks is right on. Thank you, Danae. Isn't that something? That's what Starbucks is about. It's this third space. It's this median space. Now, look, we talked a little bit about that 
last Sabbath. If you weren't here last Sabbath, this is just a two-parter. I'd love you to get both parts. So I'm going to put it on the screen just for one second, and then I've got to plunge into the second letter. But there's our website on the screen, www.pmchurch.tv. Go to that website, and you're looking for a little two-parter called the front porch. There's one and two. That's it. You can download those to your iPod, listen to them at your leisure. Kind of ruminate with me, will you, about this call to the front porch that I believe Holy Scripture is sounding to us. All right, two letters. This letter is going to remain anonymous. This letter writer, Pastor Nelson, I listened to your sermon via the radio this morning. I must tell you why I resorted to listening to the sermon on the radio this morning. I have been an active member at Pioneer for seven years this month. All right? Not a stranger. I've been an active member here. Although I sit among 3,000 people each Sabbath, the worship experience is usually painfully lonely for me. There are many times when I've skipped church for several weeks at a time and allowed the radio or the television to spiritually feed me during the Sabbath hours. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a Sabbath recluse. One of the highlights of my pioneer experience was when I was in a small group and she lists the leader a few years ago. I attempted to join a small group this year, but my work schedule overruled. I love pioneer. I will miss the glorious music and the thought-provoking messages. I will also miss the people I greet in passing. But at this stage in my life, I need more than passing relationships. I need to feel a sense of belonging. I need to experience bondedness. Spending most Sabbaths being lonely and depressed can no longer be an option for me. And so last week, I submitted a request to have my membership transferred and she lists a church in another town nearby. I'm hoping that a smaller church will provide the sense of community that I am seeking. Pray for me, please, as I venture beyond the comfort zone of Pioneer. And she signs her name. I guess not everybody feels like this is a place where you can belong. America is a nation in search of a front porch. And guess what? So are we. As a church in America, we got a hundred nations here, Africa included. But we're all people that we've been wired and shaped to hunger for a front porch. Here's somebody who says, you know, I just couldn't find one around here. I think I'll go somebody, somewhere else after seven years. Ouch. I told you last week I've been reading this book by uh, Joseph Myers, In Search of Belonging, Rethinking Small Groups and Intimacy and Community. It was in that book that I came across the uh, study and research of a social scientist named Edward T. Hall. I'd never heard of him before, but he's the guy who came up with the word proxemics. Proxemics. What are, what are proxemics? Proxemics have to do with proximity. Proximity. He studies human, human proximities, how we move in relationship to each other. And Edward T. Hall is the man who came up with the four spaces. The, the four spaces. He says in every life, we need to belong in four different spaces. We have, number one, our public space. You've got to belong there. We have, number two, our social space. You need to belong there. Number three, we've got personal space. And number four, we have intimate space. Now, I want to illustrate, I want to, I want to illustrate this for a moment. And I, I, need a, I need a volunteer. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Could you come up here, please? I don't know why you were so quick to volunteer. That is incredible. This is Pastor Tim, our, our campus chaplain. Uh, Tim. Personal space. No, no. <laughs> Save the personal space till later, Tim. All right. Okay. So, Tim, let's illustrate four spaces. There you are. Now, I need... 
Edward T. Hall says public space is 12 feet to infinity. All right? So we've got to be at least 12 feet apart. That is public space. Let me tell you about belonging in public space. I happen to be a New York Yankees fan. Don't hold that against me. But if I would ever go... Well, bless your heart. I already feel at home in this very public space. All right. Okay. No, don't get close yet. Uh, I, when, when I go to public space, let's say I can go to a Yankees game, which is really hard to do. But let's say I go to a Yankees game. I don't have to touch you. I don't have to hear from you. I don't have to have you shake my hand and say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I just know you're here, 50,000 of you. And I have one thing in common, you and I, we belong to the Yankee fan. Family, all right? So that's public space. I need to belong in public space. Now, there's also social space. Social space is four feet to, eight, uh, four feet to 12 feet, all right? So it's the next, next space in, four feet to 12 feet. So that when, uh, when Tim and I end up in a party and we're just kind of mixing around, you know, we'll get up to about four feet here. That's about it. This is our social space. Hey, how you doing? Man, hey. Oh, great. I see. What's happening? Okay, so we, we move around like that. Now... I have, Karen and I belong to Indian Head Association. Our neighborhood has some lakefront, uh, riverfront property that uh, the association owns. And so once a year we have a picnic in the summer down by the, by the river. That's our social space. So we get together, having, hey, how's it been? Haven't seen you in a long time. Hey, fine. And so we connect. Nothing more than four feet. Nothing closer than four feet. Four to twelve feet. That's our social space. Edward T. Hall says that there are actually four spaces in your life. And you have to belong in all four. The next one is personal space. That's from four feet to 18 inches. Now, there, there are fewer people that are in, a, in, in, in your personal space. Tim and I happen to belong to the same pastoral staff, and I consider the pastoral staff my personal space. We, we are a small group. And so when we huddle up, when we have staff meetings, uh, you know, we're just sitting all around the table. We're on our elbows. We're in each other's faces, and it doesn't bother us. You know that sometimes when somebody is not a part of your personal space and that somebody comes up and starts talking to you do, do you know do you, <laughs> you know what happens right that's what happens you just, you just instinctively man do you brush your teeth or what <laughs> I don't like getting this close to you because you're in my space there's one more there's one more space and it's called intimate space intimate space <laughs> intimate space is 18 inches to zero 18 inches to zero. I have one person in my life who is at the zero stage. That's me my... That, me too. Yep. And those are our wives. We're talking about our wives. Sandria and Karen. Why? Because I can't, I can't, I can't handle being intimate with a lot of people. In fact, the, the, I have a few others, a few other close friends. I can count them on the fingers of one hand who get that close to me. The Bible calls it being naked. The Bible calls it being naked. Isn't that right, Tim? Adam and Eve were naked. They had no idea that they were intimate with God and this is something to be embarrassed about. God says, no, we're supposed to be intimate, you and me. And so they are naked and feeling entirely at home until sin comes along and says it destroys that intimacy. And suddenly now, oh, that was way too close. See, everybody, Pastor Tim, thank you very much. Everybody has these four spaces. We're in good hands with our chaplains here. Four spaces. Now, Joseph Myers, in commenting on those four spaces, uh, Edward T. Hall's four spaces, let me put this on the screen for you. We'll get to study guides next week. No study guides now. We're still preschool. So let's, let's, uh, let's put, uh, the, this is Joseph Myers. All belonging in all four spaces, all right? 
all four spaces, all belonging is significant. Healthy community, the goal humankind has sought since the beginning, everybody wants to belong, is achieved when we hold harmonious connections in all four spaces. Harmony means more public belongings than social. You understand that? I got more over here, a few less here social, more social than personal, and a very few intimate. That's what harmony is. You don't have to have hundreds of intimates, please. A healthy strategy for those working to build community entails allowing people to grow significant relationships in all four spaces. All four. Those italics are his. All four. You know, some people think that when you come to church, you've got to get intimate. You're crazy. You don't have to get intimate and belong to a church. No way, Jose. That's a very, very narrow slice of your relationships fit into the intimate stage. But we have to belong. I have to belong in all four. What's that have to do with a university like this? Oh, it has a lot to do with a university like this. What does it have to do with a church like this, big like this? Everything. Randy Frizee, in his book uh, dealing with... Uh, Human relationships within the church. Let's put Randy Frizee up. The development of meaningful relationships where every member carries a significant sense of belonging is central to what it means to be the church. We all have to feel like we belong here. Now, I may get my belonging needs just by showing up in the stadium every week. 50,000 people singing praise to Jesus. 3,000 people singing praise to Jesus. I feel like I belong. And I could tell you people by name, that's the only connection they have with our congregation. They show up in worship, either first church or second church. That's it. But they feel like they belong. Everybody's got to belong somewhere. And by the way, did you know that Jesus was a master at understanding these spaces? You remember the story about the uh, centurion who came to Jesus and he said, you remember that? He said, oh, I, my, my servant is at death's door. I need you to heal him, please. This is a pagan centurion. And Je what did Jesus say? Jesus says, great idea. Let's go to your house and I'll heal your servant. And the Roman centurion said, wait a minute. I'm here in public space. I don't want you in personal space. I don't even need to be in social space with you. I'm content to... He said, hey, 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 hey. Listen, I'm a man in authority. I say the word. It happens. You're a man in authority. I believe you can do it in this public space. Heal my servant. And Jesus turns. He said, hey, guys, can, have you ever seen this kind of faith in Israel? Your servant is healed. Jesus could have said, hey, no way. In order to have really meaningful relationships in church, I've got to go home with you. And we've got to get up front and personal. No. He respected a man who says... I'll relate to you in public space alone. So it's okay. By the way, which means that what happens here on Sabbath mornings is not just another little event on this campus. This is a huge event where people come, 3,000 come together, and at some point sense a connection. Does everybody feel connected here? I just read to you a letter from somebody who has sat here for seven years and said, no, I don't feel like I belong in this public space. I'm going to find some more space. See, we all are different. We have different needs. But that what is clear is that we have been wired by God to need this belonging, this sense of community. Ah. In fact, that's what I find so phenomenal about this description of the early church in the book of Acts. Let's go to the Bible now. Pull the Bible out in front of you. There should be a pew Bible. If you didn't bring your own Bible, there's a pew Bible in the same translation I'll be reading from the New King James if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2, please. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, page 734 in your pew Bible. Page 734. 
And uh, I want to show you the four spaces of Edward T. Hall right here, long before there was social science. Take a look at this. This is amazing. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. All right, page 734. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. I'll start reading here. Then, Oh, by the way, this is the day of Pentecost. Peter has just preached his heart out. Thousands of people have listened to him. Now, notice the response. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his, Peter's word, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Boy, that fledgling little movement of Christianity just grew by 3,000 in one day. Amazing. So how do they behave with 3,000? Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Hold on. Think of this with me for a moment. There they are, the four spaces. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. That's public teaching. Just like we're doing right here. We're having public teaching, public worship. So they have their public space. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, steadfastly, and fellowship. Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. It's another word for community. So they had the social. It's a social space. So they have the public space. They have the social space. And then they broke bread together. And in verse 47, it says, from house to house. So now we're down to personal space. And here comes intimate space. And in prayers, they share the intimacy of that space with God. Isn't that amazing? you got the four spaces right there. What happens? Verse 43. Then the fear. Whoa. Fear came upon the, every soul of that city. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, verse 44. All who believed. Talking about a front porch community. Here it goes. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, here, here, here's the punchline. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, public space, and breaking bread from house to house, from front porch to front porch, social space, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And guess what? When you get community right, God says, I can hardly wait to keep growing that community. And He keeps adding. Why? Because it's a compelling draw, as I'm about to show you, with some fascinating research done with the Moonies. Ever heard of the Moonies? Before I tell you about the Moonies, let's just make sure we have it clear here what's happening in Acts chapter 2. Overnight, literally, in one day, the church explodes to over 3,000. Guess what? That's the Pioneer Memorial Church. Our membership is 3,400. So suddenly, you have a church the size of Pioneer in Jerusalem that very day. Isn't it amazing that the leaders of the church, when they realize what has happened, instantly concluded under the social science direction of the Holy Spirit. We can't leave this thing big. We have got to begin to create front porches. Isn't it amazing that their response to a huge setting is to immediately create small little front porches of community? You know what? Maybe that's a clue for you and me. Maybe this church has got to have this big celebration where we have the our finest musicians and we, we praise and we worship. But maybe it's not enough to be content having that. Maybe we need, around Andrews University, small little front porch communities where we work and where we worship. 3,000 people come together, it's called a celebration. When 10 people come together, it's called community. And it's a big difference. Now, about the Moonies. Last week, uh, worshiping with us last uh, Sabbath was a, a friend of mine. He was 
a former student. He has his Ph.D. in missiology. He is planting a church in what is arguably the most godless and secular nation, perhaps on earth, certainly in Western Europe, in the Czech Republic. He was sitting here last Sabbath with the rocking chairs, and he was listening. And he, he met me at that back door afterwards. And he said, Dwight, I've got to share something with you. I said, come on in this week. He came in, and he's the one that shared with me this research f- regarding the Moonies. Now, look, when I, when I was with my PowerPoint man, who's up in the, he's a junior bioengineer here, Anthony Wills, I said, hey, do you know who the Moonies are? And he said, nope. So I suddenly realized, wait a minute, Moonies, that, that's going back. Moonies goes back to the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s here. Some of you are just getting born at that time. But it, 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 Reverend Sun Young Moon, a Korean visionary who claimed to be Christ manifested to this generation, he started what they came to call the Unification Church, and American kids by the thousands were signing up. Amazing. A soci- sociological phenomenon. So Rodney Stark, who's a social scientist... And he collaborated with another uh, sociologist, John Laughlin, in the early 60s. They did the research, and then Rodney Stark has written the book, The Rise of Christianity. And so, this this will just blow your socks off. Listen to this. Think of the implications for life here at Andrews University. Listen up. So, he said, in the early 60s, John Laughlin and I were the first social scientists to actually go out and watch people convert to a new religious movement. Now, hold on. Although all the converts were quick to describe how their spiritual lives had been empty and desolate prior to their conversion, it turns out, we found, the only ones who joined and became Moonies, the only ones who joined were those whose interpersonal attachments to members of this new community overbalanced their attachment to non-members, i.e., their parents, their peers back at home. This is in San Francisco. Kids start, just started showing up on buses. The Mooney movement. And so these two social scientists begin to interview them. What's going on? What's going on? Do you know what they found out? In fact, let me put, I'm going to put three sentences from this research on the screen for you. Attachments. Here's what they concluded. After hundreds and hundreds of these interviews. Attachments lie at the heart of conversion. This is a key point. And therefore, that conversion tends to proceed along social networks formed by interpersonal attachments. Do you get what they're finding? They're finding that for the Moonies, which, by the way, they define as a deviant religion, which, by the way, is exactly what Christianity was in the beginning. It was a deviant religion, considered by the the public that way. Isn't that right? Why were people joining the Christian church by the thousands? Ah, when they did this research, they found out that these attachments, the new attachments became so strong that they overrode mom and dad, kids back at home, people at work. They went ahead because of the strength of the new attachments. You you thinking on this? You see what's happening here? And that, that, that conversion was not a theological change of mind. Conversion, turns out, it was dominantly moving along social networks. And that when you had that social network in place, I convert. In fact, this is amazing. They talked to these Moonies who had been Moonies now for years. And they said, tell us why you joined this movement. And those who have been here long enough. They, you know what they said? Oh, well, it was a theology, man. These, this, this philosophy, this, this life, this worldview. Oh, I knew that this was for me. The very same people who, when they interviewed them coming into the movement, they said, hey, I got new friends here. This is where I belong. 
Over the course of a few years, the mind blocked out the, the social network part and said, Oh, no, I really came in here because I'm thinking really clearly now. No, that wasn't it at all. You didn't come in because of theology. You came in because of a personal attachment to somebody on the inside. Look at the second statement. Put this on the screen. Number two. Conversion to new deviant religious groups occurs when, other things being equal, people have or develop stronger attachments to members of the group than they have to non-members. Put one more sentence. One more. Let's put the, let's put the third sentence up. The basis for success, successful conversionist movements is growth through social networks through a structure of direct and intimate interpersonal attachments. Now watch this. This is, this is the bullseye. Most new religious movements fail because they quickly become closed or semi-closed networks. That is, they fail to keep forming and sustaining attachments to outsiders and they lose thereby the capacity to grow. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? That's exactly what happened. The church in Acts. It was the social network that got another and that brought another. Deviant religion. Religio illicita in Rome. Illegal religion. Doesn't matter. Because I have the connections. I'm drawn in. And my former attachments weaken. And I take a stand for what I believe God wants me to do. What's the point, ladies and gentlemen? It's inescapable. The, the, the point is inescapable. Social networking and attachment are critical to building a strong community. In fact, there's a line that I'm going to run by you right here. It's a simple line, but could it be? Let me put that one-liner up on the screen. Could it be that the best way to close the back door is to build a front porch? There's a lot of angst in the church today. Oh, our kids are leaving. Our kids are leaving. What are we going to do? This is a terrible predicament. No, 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 no. You want to close the back door? The best way to close the back door? Build a front porch. Build a place where somebody belongs, where I'm missed when I don't show up. A place where I am loved for me. Just being me. The best way to close the back door is to build a front porch. Book of Acts, case in point, classic case in point. So, here's the question. How can we grow? How can we grow those little front porch communities here at Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church? I have a friend in Africa. I want to show you a picture of a small group. This group may be five people too many because generally a small group is ten. They got fifteen, but when you have fifteen, you have a whole lot of front. And a friend of mine in Africa sent me this picture just this last week. There's a small group for you. They are having fun. Because that's what a small group is for. You're, just, you're supposed to feel like you belong. You're cheering the same team. You are a part. See? Look at that poor truck. Oh, my. I want to talk about the small groups. In fact, we did a survey here. A congregational survey. Pastor Esther oversaw that uh, survey. Here are some of the responses. Here, hey, look. Here are objections people give to me. I talk to people about, you want to join a small group? Oh, let me just run a few of these by. I found them in, the, in your survey responses. Here's one. Hey, I am not into cooking and bringing food. I hate potlucks. I need to tell you something. Nobody says small groups have to eat in order to grow community. In fact, if you do a lot of eating, you're growing something else. But my, here, here's my philosophy, because I, I, I belong to a small group. Here's my philosophy. I never bring food. 
I just make sure I get in a group where there's some good cooks. That's all you have to do. You don't have to bring food. So don't worry about the cooking part. That's, that's, come on, you can meet it, you can meet at midnight and there's no food involved at all. Okay, here's another one. Nobody ever invites me to join a small group. That was in the survey. My friend, in two seconds, you're going to get an invitation. All right? Here's another one. Number three. Oh, I don't like strangers. Oh, don't laugh. We're all that way. What do they call it? Xenophobia. I don't like strangers. We want to keep America just America. You know, that kind of crazy thinking. No, it's true. They call it xenophobia. You're afraid of strangers. Now, we all that way. I mean, come on. The, the fact of the matter is, I love being around people I know. But here's my point. Under capable leadership, and we got a team of top-notch leaders, and I'll talk about them in just a second, but under capable leadership, you're not going to be strangers for long anyway. You're not going to be a stranger, and that person's not going to be a stranger, so you're not going to have to spend your life with strangers. Okay, here's another one. I don't know how to lead a small group. I want to promise you something. You will never have to lead a small group. Joining a small group does not mean I now have to lead a small group. Not at all. That's why we have, we have trained very warm-hearted and caring leaders. Once in a while, I get to meet with the leaders and kind of just share stories and hear what's up. And I'm telling you, they're the good hands people. Pastor Esther has put a, a top-notch team of small group front porch leaders together. You're not going to have to worry about a thing. Trust me. However, listen, if you want to become a leader, a skillful leader, we'll train you. We'll push you into this thing. Okay? Um, oh, here, yeah, you hear this, and I saw this in the uh, survey. I prefer my own kind for community building. That's certainly logical. Most of us do. We prefer our own kind. Whatever you mean by own kind, you prefer it. That's okay. But I tell you what, one of the huge bonuses of being a part of a diverse group is that there is a whole life-expanding richness that comes into you. I have belonged to diverse groups. I do right now. You know, if you want to have, I want to have a group of only males 25 years old. Well, you can. It gets boring after a while. Diversity. There's nothing wrong with it. One of the responses, we got a bunch of these responses because we did this uh, survey last, uh, last, last year. I'm a student. Is there a group for me? Oh, there sure is. I got to tell you about this. If you, you're a student here, and I'm glad you freshmen are here. If you are a young adult here and you would like to check out a front porch group, no strings attached. We have a front porch group that meets every Sabbath morning at 10 o'clock over in the student center, first floor, ground floor, in the campus ministry complex. They gather there. They have some snacks together. They are building an incredible front porch community. Go on over there. If you're a young adult, check it out. You say, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to get my own group together. You may. In just a moment, I'm going to give you a piece of paper. You tell me. You tell me the kind of group you'd like to see this church provide. Let's see if we can put something together for you. Students, come on. I know, freshmen, look it. It's a busy life around here. Trust me. It's just fast-paced. The year's over before it starts. It's, it's that bad. But... If you had a little group that you connected with just once a month or twice a month, some meet once a week. If you had a little group that you connected with, it could just be, it could be the wind beneath your wings. All right. These are objections. I say, no, I got to share this one. I don't want to sign my life away. Don't make me sign a contract. Trust me, my friend. 
You will not sign your life away. Around here, Pioneer Memorial small groups, I can't speak for others. Our small groups have a sunset clause. That means the sun eventually sets and the group is over. You are never going to join for life. Ever, ever, ever. We need, every one of us as humans needs to be able to get out of it gracefully. And we'll make sure that you can. Final, this is kind of a summary of, of, of some responses. I hear from guys like this. But you see, Dwight, I am just not a small groups kind of guy. I'm not lonely. I have friends. I'm not a misfit. I don't need, I don't need little touchy, fuzzy, wuzzy, touchy healing groups. No, I hear that. Particularly from men. I want to tell you something, guys. We need community even more. But let me tell you, you're right. Okay, you're right. You got it together. You're cool. Initially, initially you're right. But listen carefully. Could it be that the radical power of Christian community is that what ends up happening is you become a part of a group not in order to get. You become a part of a group, a front porch community in order to give. That's the secret of Jesus' irrepressible joy. You think about Jesus. Oh, mercy, Father, I have to join that group of misfits down there. Why did he have irrepressible joy? Because he did not come here to get. There was nothing to get. It was bankrupt down here. He came to give. And he says, I want my joy to be in you. On the eve of his death, I want my joy to be in you. So rather than thinking about, oh, what can I get? What am I going to get, get, get? No. Why? Did it ever occur to you that maybe you're on this planet because you have something to give? And there's a small front porch group today just needing you to give what God has placed in your life. Hey, come on. Don't, let's not be too hard on each other, all right? How many of you? Raise your hand. How many of you picked the family you were born into? Just raise your hand. Nobody picks his family. No girl picks her family. You know what? You're stuck. That pesky brother, that bratty sister, you're stuck for life. But because of the miracle of love, you get to saying, hey, can't stand the guy, but we're family. We're family. And I really do love him in my heart of hearts. That's how family is. So don't you go around and say, well, I've got to find a group that's just perfect like me. No. All right. Point is, though, and I don't want you to forget this, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, quickly throw these by, and then I've got to get out of here. Uh, I want you to know that joining a small group, while it's true, think about giving, you're going to get. May I run these by you real quick? Four significant blessings you will get when you become a part of a front porch spiritual community. Let's put up number one. We find strength for life's storms. I like to sail. This has been a rotten summer, too much travel. I haven't sailed once. The boat's still under wraps. Terrible. But when I go out sailing on Lake Michigan, and it's kind of gray in the distance, I never want to be on Lake Michigan alone. When I'm going into a storm, give me somebody to suffer with me. Just somebody to sit there and go through that and pray for me as we go through it. Why? Because it's, no, it's terrible to go through a storm alone. You don't know what's going to happen in your life this year. Freshman friend of mine, you have no clue what's going to happen. I have, no, I have no idea what's going to happen in my life. 
I just want to make sure that when something, when the bottom falls out of my life, I got a little group around me. It's great for when you, uh, let's put it up there, please. When you go through life storms, we find strength. Here's another one. We receive wisdom from small groups for making important decisions. I love the way King Solomon put it in Proverbs. He said, as iron. You ever seen a butcher? <laughs> Pulls out that butcher, butcher knife and that uh, metal file. <laughs> Nobody goes to butchers anymore, but just kind of imagine that happening. That's, that's Solomon's point. As iron sharpens iron, you think you're pretty bright. Puts you in a group of peers and more experienced people in life. Puts you in a group and you suddenly find out there's a whole lot of wisdom I could go for and I can tap into. That's what small communities do. They give you that wisdom. Give me number three. Here's a third significant blessing. We experience accountability which is vital to spiritual growth. I know some guys who've gone through just some major spiritual... I know some girls who've gone through spiritual burnout, spiritual meltdown. When I go into spiritual meltdown, trust me, I have left a group and I am on my own. Some guys say, I, I, I'm like Lone Ranger. I don't even need Tonto. <laughs> but, seriously, I, I read this in one of the books. A Lone Ranger, a Lone Ranger is a Lone Ranger. You're all by yourself. Why do you want to go through life by yourself? What are you trying to prove? You got nothing to prove. We need each other. We need each other. Okay, there's a fourth significant blessing. Let's put that up on the screen too. We find acceptance that helps us repair our wounds. I've lived in this community for a few years now. I've lived on this campus for a few years now. And I've seen people who are secure and confident and in control. Come face to face with a crisis that just knocks the legs out from under you. I've gone through crises since I've been here. You, if you haven't, will go through crises in the journey ahead. The joy of a small front porch group is that when, that when they come charging in on you, your friends in that small, that little front porch group circles the wagons around you and they say, we're going to stand this ground with you, boy. Don't you worry about it. We got you covered. That's what you need. That's what I need. And there's only one place you can find it. You can't get it from coming to church and just worshiping. I'm sorry. We don't know what you're going through. We can't give you what you need. You need a little front porch community that says, I'm praying for you, boy. Girl, I'm with you a hundred percent. A hundred years ago, these words are written. I consider them rather prescient. Look at this. A hundred years ago, the formation of small companies, the formation of little front porch communities as a basis of Christian effort has been presented to me by one who cannot err. Because Acts 2 is right. That's how a big church like this survives the long haul. Student at Andrews University, you need community. Don't you tell me you can do it alone. You can't. We'll do everything we can to help you find that community. In fact, you know what I wish right now? I wish the front, the, the front of the pew, right in front, right ahead of you, could become your little laptop right now. I wish I could put this survey right there and you could just pump, 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 and fill it out. I don't want to even, you, I don't want you to go home and try to fill it in. It, we'll enter the data for you. Let's do this. Inside your worship bulletin right now, would you pull out, please, a little buff card. We'll put it on the screen for you so you can see what it looks like. It has a rocking chair on it. It's called uh, Front Porch Groups. See that card? It's, just, it's not even a card. It's just a little piece of paper. Open your bulletin right now. Ushers, let's go. 
Ushers, thank you. Hold your hand up. If you didn't get one of these, I need to hear from you. So just, this will t- we got golf pencils for you. So don't worry. This will take 30 seconds. Just hold your hand up. Thank you, Philip. Nice to have you back. Hold your hand up and we'll get uh, one of these surveys to you and a, and a golf pencil. Yeah, just hold your hand up all the way to the back of the balcony. Those of you watching on television, you can keep watching with us. But uh, this is a little in-house moment where we're going to take a survey. I wanna, I'm going to share, I'm going to read a story to you, a dynamite story, so don't you turn that television off yet. But I want to give you just a moment, please, to fill this little front porch group's information interest survey. Did you, did you get one? You got one? You got one? All right. Just hold your hand up if you didn't get it. I'm going to plunge right into it while you're doing that. Look at guys. This is a simple little form. Name, address, email. That's it. Name, address, email. Let us know how we could be in touch with you. And listen, listen to me right here, please. Nobody, nobody is getting put into a group against his or her wishes. Nobody, you, by filling this out, this will help us very much as we think about moving into small groups as a, as a community. You're not locking yourself into anything here. Nothing. So just relax on that one. I'm not going to get a little postcard in the mail that says, show up. You don't have to. But look at your name, address, email, cell phone. You got to sell. Everybody's got to sell. Okay. Now just look at three more circles. Your age category, circle it. Circle it. What's your age category? Circle it. If you're offended by your age category, circle it anyway. <laughs> Are you a student or community? Circle one or the other. Student or community. That was quick enough. And here's the last one. Time available. You know what? If, if, the, if I like this group, if I were willing to try this group, I could meet Monday evenings at... Okay, that's all you need to do. Circle. As many circles as you want when you could meet. Now, your freshman here, you say, I have no idea what my life is going to be like here. Well, you just put that as available. But just circle. If you have an idea. Oh, I'm, 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 I work here on campus. You know what? I'd be free late afternoon, Tuesdays, whatever. doesn't matter to me. Just put a circle there. Finally... You got it. What kind of group are you looking for? Help us help you. Just tell us. Write any comment down you wish. And while you're finishing that, because we're going to receive these right now, I want to read a story. I want to read a story. This is a beautiful story. It's a personal testimony by a gentleman named Rob Thomas. I found it in Kay Kuzma's delightful book, Fit Forever. Okay? So we're ending with this story. This is it. So just thank you for going ahead and filling that out while I read. My mom's suicide. Okay? My mom's suicide rocked my life. This guy's writing. My first reaction was shock, then denial, then anger. How could she do this to me, to my kids, then guilt? Why didn't I do something more? As I tried to put the pieces of my life together, I questioned God's role in mom's suffering. She was manic depressive. And her subsequent choice to end her life blindly. Look, look. I saw only two options. Number one, God didn't fulfill his promise not to allow any temptation beyond what mom could bear. Or number two, mom just blew it. Either way, it was a losing situation. Either God or mom screwed up. And that conclusion almost destroyed my relationship with God. Over the next year or two, I really struggled with my spiritual life. In retrospect, I think it was a combination of my relatively sterile spiritual life before mom's death, her suicide itself, and the subsequent questions it raised in my mind about God's role in our lives. Also, I attended a large, impersonal church. 
where I had no support group to listen, encourage, or reinforce to me the truth that it's God who loves and Satan who destroys. I'm embarrassed to say that I almost gave up on God. I kept going to church, but mainly for the kids' sake. Even though I was struggling, I still believed in a God to whom I wanted my kids to relate. I didn't want them to grow up not going to church because of me. Before making a final choice to bail out on God, I committed to do some more reading and investigating. I read a book by Philip Yancey, Where is God When It Hurts? Oh, that's a great book. That's a great book. If you ever get, want to read something that will move your heart. So I read this book by Philip Yancey. That really helped me to wake up and smell the roses. My family also began attending a smaller church where I became involved and made friends who loved me regardless. And I began therapy. Guess what? It's okay to get therapy. When I have a cold, I go to that kind of doctor. When my heart is sick, I go to that other kind of doctor. It's okay. It's okay. I began therapy over the past. Listen, to this. now here's the punchline. Over the past five years, I've really come alive spiritually. I've benefited from four small groups, one secular recovery group and three spiritually based groups. I've had a much more meaningful devotional and prayer life, and I've been much more active in my church. It's been wonderful. Like my own spiritual resurrection, I wonder why it took me so long, 30 years, to get connected. Are you connected? Are you connected to a front porch community that can journey for you in the midst of living? Don't wait long. Don't wait 30 years. Connect. There's a front porch just waiting for you. A front porch that desperately needs what you will bring. I want to close with a front. This, this is the greatest front porch hymn in our hymnal. Pull your hymnal out, 350. Blessed be the tie that binds. We sang it last Sabbath. I'll tell you what, I've got to sing it again. I just love this old gospel hymn. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. And while you're finding 350, do this. Fold your, fold your little survey in half. Don't need to have anybody reading it as it goes down. Just fold it. Don't fold it five times, just in half. And pass it, please, to the aisle. Our ushers, let's do this while we're singing the hymn. Our ushers are going to come by and pick those up. Blessed be the tie that binds. Let's sing about that front porch together.
Father, that's why you created these little front porch communities. So that it would be a blessed tie that binds us to other men, women, and young adults. Strangers maybe at the beginning, but kindred spirits who share the same voyage, who have embarked on the same journey. And that word mutual, it kept repeating itself, mutual, mutual. I'm not in this alone. I'm not a lone ranger. I'm a part of a family with whom I can journey this stormy way. Oh, God, you know how desperately we want community and how we need it. Take the promptings of our hearts and shape us by a front porch somewhere that can introduce us to the fullness of the life of Christ. After all, you are the God, God the Father, who brings us communion. You are God the Son, who brings to us love. And you are the God, the Holy Spirit, who brings to us fellowship. With that triune gift, we journey into a new year that is awaiting us. In Jesus' name, amen.